So I I have a I kind of have half the talk here for you. So we'll see where it goes and what happens. And, but I was thinking about a few things I was interested in talking about, and one of them for sure is about relaxing. And what does it mean to relax when you're practicing? And what does it mean to relax when you're sitting meditation? And the one thing I want to be clear, it doesn't mean go to sleep. How many people here fell asleep during the meditation? Come on, raise your hand. Thank you, please. You know, and there's a the number of people I see aren't raising their hands. That's okay. Too. But, but, um, so one of the confusions about relaxing is sometimes, and this is very normal, you people who fell asleep, um, is especially if you've had a long weekend, a good weekend, fun, nice weather, and you're out and you go to meditation and then you start going like this and you, you're meditating and it's like, oh, it feels good to go to sleep. And so people don't want to relax. So they'll stay rigid in some way, you know, which is, you know, that's okay. You can do that if you want, but that's not optimal. In my mind, it's, you know, it's one skillful means. Um, and again, for me, if you're sleepy, it's much more skillful to stand up because you will have instant energy and it's really rare that you fall asleep when you're standing up. And, you know, the few times, and believe me, I've done a lot of being tired on retreats or in meditation where I needed to stand up. I've done a lot of standing meditation. Actually, when I do a retreat of any length, you know, a week or two or three or a month, I'll, I'll usually do a sta an hour of standing a day just in general because it's such a good way to practice standing meditation. But it's really good if you're falling asleep and you're, you know, stand up, see what happens if you stand up. And notice, if you don't stand up, why don't you stand up? And that's a really great question. Anybody want to answer that? Why don't you stand up? You felt heavy. The thought of standing up seemed insurmountable. <laughs> okay, you were getting foggy. And at the end of the, when I rang the bell, could you get up? No, I never did. You, you, just, <laughs> you, you sat here the whole time. Okay, I respect that. <laughs> okay. Anybody else? Why didn't you stand up? I don't want anybody else to know that I was sleeping. Great. So everybody, she sleeps all the time. So everybody knows now. <laughs> it's not true. I'm kidding. Yeah, oh, I, believe me, I already knew. No problem. I, when, when you don't know that you're doing this, I have my eyes open at times. It's, it's impressive. I'm, I'm always, really, I, I have two reactions that way. One is I'm like, oh, People are sleepy, you know, that seems to Wow, they're not doing anything about it. That's what my mind is. And why don't people stand up? And that's why I even ask the question now, because it's so interesting to me, because it's so skillful to stand up and meditate. There's only once that I came close to falling over, going to sleep while I was standing, and about a halfway down, the adrenaline hit because it's a, it's a ways down. Woke me up, I was fine. So, I had... Why don't we have a one session of a standing meditation for the whole group? Why don't I have one standing... Okay, next week we're all going to do standing meditation. <laughs> no, we're not. Here, somebody... Yeah. You, you can do that. Yeah, that's skillful means. I, I like that one. I think standing is better, but, but that's just personal. And I don't think although you have to stand. If that works for you, great. What you want to do, meditation is not a passive activity. Meditation is a proactive activity that has a tremendous amount of 
receptivity, not passivity. And so the skillful means, open your eyes, great. I mean, I can say a lot of different ideas, opening the eyes. They, they talk about pulling on your earlobes is good if you're falling asleep, <coughs> or contracting your perineum a bunch if you're falling asleep. You know, there's a lot comes down the spiritual pipe. Uh, <laughs> and, and you know they all have their place and they work if they work for you great but if they don't if you're not used to it standing good good practice I did fall asleep tonight but I have once or twice over the years uh-huh. um, and it's often this uh, delusion thing of Oh, now I woke back up again. Oh, I can stay awake now. Right. The delusion of being awake. <laughs> or, thinking, or thinking you're not going to fall asleep. Thinking you're not going to fall asleep. So that's so. So Kitty doesn't stand up because she thinks she's going to stay awake. Mm-hmm. Believe me. Trust the sleepiness. <laughs> if if we are anybody not ever fall asleep meditating, that's such a normal thing. Just <laughs> not reacting to it is a passivity. Conscious or unconscious kind of reaction to not doing anything, basically. Go ahead. Well, hold on. One of the things I've found is I get sleepy a lot. You get sleepy and, a lot. Um, Even I, though you've got a nice... this question, why don't I stand up? Yeah, why don't you? I don't because I realize I have doubt. You have doubt? I doubt that there's any reason it's not worth it. It's not worth it. So... Um, so well, you, you know what doubt you know. Yes, doubt is one of the hindrances. Yeah. I'm doubting, and then I stand up. Good. Very good. Good. Good to stay awake a little bit. Go ahead. Wait, wait, no, no. What's been pointing you? You got to look at who I'm pointing at. Go ahead. Stand up if you would, please, so I can hear you. Just to be real, like Beautiful. Okay. Yeah, no, no. Do everybody hear that? I'm sleepy, I'm going to let myself fall asleep, and I just do it. Great. You can do that once here, and if we catch you again... Uh, no, no. No, no, really. I, okay, if, if you're conscious of it, that, that means so much. Because, again, you're being proactive. And that's the, if you're going to do it, it, it's actually, believe me, I've had many a great sleep during meditation. And, you know, I see the benefit of it, but I also know that I just don't go with it every time. So great. Okay, now, stand please. Thank you. You have what? You like to eat a half an hour before. You would know. You would know more than me if you're eating right before you, you know, sit. How much does it impact your sitting? And so, if you need to eat before, then how much do you need to eat? Given you're only going to sit for at least here 45 minutes. You can eat after you're sitting for sure. I don't. I'm not going to bug you if you fall asleep while I'm talking. I mean, I can appreciate that too. <laughs> really, no. But really, it's it's a good question you're asking because it's a skillful means question. Okay, I need to eat regularly for whatever reason. So how much should I eat before I sit? Because at least for me, eating makes me more tired and easier to fall asleep or easier to be dull while I'm digesting. Okay? Okay. Wow, I didn't expect we'd get that much life out of sleep, but I'm glad we talked about it. Because really I wanted to talk about relaxing and the import or the value of relaxing as we're meditating. And really what I mean is relaxing while we're awake, while we're aware of what's happening now. Whether we like what's happening now or not, to start to learn how to relax with the human experience is part of 
the meditative process. And part of what can happen as we start to recognize we're being we're open to being awake to anything that happens to human beings. Because anything can happen in your seat while you're sitting here. Any thought, any feeling, any kind of sensation, any kind of idea, any kind of belief. Anybody ever notice that they think things they don't want to think? <laughs> Anybody? Yeah. Anybody notice they ever feel things that they don't want to feel? Right? I know just the three of us. <laughs> or, or that your body does things you don't want it to do, like it's tired or it's agitated or it's achy or it's painful. And so there's really one of the interesting questions about how to sustain uh, a very intimate uh, uh, awareness is how to relax with the experience, whether we like the experience or not. And relax doesn't mean, oh, we're just going to be totally fun. It means we learn how to... um, uh, watch what happens when we're aware of what's happening. Like, so there's what's happening, and this is a nice way to think about mindfulness sometimes, is there's a, it's a twofold process. It's a process of being aware of what's happening. Feelings, thoughts, all kinds of beliefs, ideas, memories, you know, and then any reaction we have to it. Any response we have to it. Oh, I'm really doing good now. Oh, this is really good meditation. Oh, this is bad. Oh, I'm a bad Buddhist because I'm angry. Or, you know, I shouldn't think about sex because I'm meditating. Or or whatever it is, you can watch it happen. The awareness is still functioning. You're knowing what's happening. That's the important part. And so you can start to see, oh, what does it mean to relax when I'm irritated? What does it mean to relax when I'm pissed off? What does it mean to relax when I'm bored? What does it mean to relax when I don't like what's happening? What does it mean to relax when I do like what's happening? When it's pleasurable? When it's satisfying? When it seems um, like I'm waking up and going to be enlightened? Right? You don't want to get tense right then if you're getting <laughs> And it's just one of the words that is it's tricky to use because sometimes it'll lean people into a kind of dullness or sleepiness or indulgence of what's happening rather than just opening in a relaxed way to what's happening. And so the two words, or one of the words I said earlier, openness is an important word, but this relaxing as we stay present becomes one of the skills that develops, or, or I, wish, I don't even want to put it that way. Let's be curious about, oh, what could that mean for each of us? What could that mean for us right now if we're going to relax while we're tense? doesn't mean you have to get rid of the tension. It means we're relaxing or the consciousness that might react to it or might think, oh, this is bad. And even that, we're going to relax to that. In other words, um, I mean, there's a lot of levels of relaxation I'm pointing at. I guess one of the important ones I want to emphasize is the idea that... Um, what's happening is wrong and so we can't relax with it. Right? Like even being pissed off or irritated or bored or feeling dull or feeling sexy or feeling, you know, I'm trying to think of what what might bring a reaction or needing or wanting or not wanting. Whatever might be the reaction, can we relax with the state of consciousness that's present here right now. And relax is one of the doorways to being open to it. And and one of the things I believe helps is not projecting our ideas about what should be happening. 
but learning how to be open to what is happening and seeing that one can be aware or mindful of what is here. This is from uh, Tubton Chodron, who I believe is a Tibetan nun, who said, she said, many people have the misconception that spiritual life or religious life is somewhere up there in the sky, an ethereal or mystical reality, and that our everyday life is too mundane or too nice, or, or not so nice, is too mundane or not so nice. Often people think that to be a spiritual person we must ignore and neglect our everyday life and go into another special realm. To me, being a spiritual person means becoming a real human being. And that's a, that's a beautiful understanding, becoming a real human being. And how do we become a real human being? Being open to everything and nothing. Yeah, I told him what to say. By <laughs> being open to everything and nothing. That's one possible way to become a real human being. Why does that help? Uh, yeah, you. Uh, <laughs> um, because that way you know what things to react and not react and be thinking about it. What, you know what things to not react and be uh, reactivity is like water. You just react to things or not react to things based on yourself, opposed to your surroundings. Uh huh. So um, I'm, I just I'm not getting your um, answer. Pardon? It's a big question. Okay. Well, let's go. What? What else? What else? What? What helps us be a real human being? Uh, yeah. I think it's being 100% present in the moment that's occurring. Being 100% present in the more moment as it's occurring. Why does that help become a real human being? Because it's the only thing that's real. <laughs> okay, it's the only thing that's real. <laughs> okay. I mean, that's yeah, 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 no, I'm not, I'm not complaining, I'm just being curious about it. So so the openness that you were describing and the staying present for it, where else are we going to find what it means to be a real human being if we're not here, if we're not present, if we're not aware of what's actually here? Where else is real humanness going to be? I'm, I'm happy to go there if you can get me a ticket. <laughs> But I haven't seen it so far be somewhere else. And yet we all keep thinking it's somewhere else. Like who we should be or what we should be or how we should be. Right? It's something else. So the openness becomes an important part of this. And it could be it could take us all the way to what it means to be a real human being. Because it's not just the surface of what's here, it's the depth of what's here. And where do, how are we going to discover the depth of our humanness, of what's here, of human life? Right? I mean, one of the beautiful things that I believe and see is, oh, we've all been given a great, <laughs> we've all been given a human life to study. Right? And to learn from. And to discover what is it, what is a human being. Right? I mean, it's great to, and it's, and you know, remember mindfulness is both internal and external. So one place we look is here, and the other place we look is there. Because humanness is happening both places. More people tend to look out than look in. Right? That's, it's more common that we think, oh, somebody else knows what it means. And also, there's an intimacy with ourselves that we're a little, um, I don't know, averse to, shy about, 
we don't want to, we don't think, oh, the real reality is really here if we get really close to the experience of sitting in our seat. D.T. Suzuki, who taught a lot about Zen, he said, Zen in its essence, that Zen in its essence is the art of seeing into the nature of one's being, and it points the way from bondage to freedom. And it's sitting, it's exactly what the Buddha said. He said, Dukkha is right here. And to begin to see Dukkha or suffering or dis-ease or unhappiness, which is right here, you begin to see how that happens. And then you begin to see the freedom that is possible, the freedom from Dukkha, the, what he called the cessation of Dukkha. <clears throat> And so the, the staying present or learning how to be present, which takes a little bit of relaxation. And you can make a lot of effort. And I'm somebody, I'm a little bit of a paradoxical teacher because I, I know how to make a lot of effort. I've made lots of effort and it's great. It has its place in Dharma practice and it has its limitations in Dharma practice also. And so if you've never made effort, make some effort and learn about that. Learn what, what that is to go beyond what we think is possible. And if you've made a lot of effort, learn how to relax and go beyond what we think is possible by relaxing. They're both important parts of meditation practice. And really what happens is the effort and the relaxation start to become, come together so that so one knows how to make an effort when it's needed, but it doesn't mean you get tense. And one knows how to relax when it's needed, but it doesn't mean one goes to sleep. One begins to recognize the... Uh, really, it's more like temperature. Oh, we need to raise the temperature a little. Oh, we need to lower the temperature a little. We don't have to make it freezing, or we don't have to make it 120 degrees. These are, these are more subtle um, movements of consciousness at times that we can start to become sensitive to as we stay awake and stay aware and stay open to even making mistakes. And that's why, again, I'm somebody who like I love to, I love to make mistakes. How come? Because we can learn a tremendous amount by our mistakes. It's actually much harder to learn by doing it right. Anybody ever notice that? <laughs> Given nobody knows how to do it right, we all know how to do it wrong. Let's learn from that. And so, and the and the the qualities that I'm pointing at are also beautiful qualities that continue the meditation in the meditation practice and outside of the meditation practice. And that's where practice really, uh, I want to say, it really gets interesting. It's all interesting. It's all good. But but we don't want to just meditate when we're sitting on the cushion. We want to meditate when we're going home when we're dealing with our partners, with our families, with our children, with our parents, with our spouses, with our loved ones, with our hated ones, whatever it is. We want to we learn how to meditate in the middle of politics, in the middle of work. We want to learn how to stay awake or aware, let me use that word, a better word for this, wherever we are. And so, what does it mean to be aware 24-7? Which, you're basically, we're already doing it. Now can we start to be aware that we're aware 24-7, right? You're going to leave here, you're going to be aware, you're driving, you're aware of what's happening, and you're thinking, and whatever you're planning, or doing, or wanting, or not wanting, you're aware of all of that. Start to be aware of your awareness and see what happens. See what happens if you do it, you know, for 24 hours. 
because you're already being aware the whole time. You know, with sleep, you may have it some question, although if you remember your dreams, something was aware, right? I mean, who knows how consciousness works totally. But at least while we're not asleep, we, we're aware. Let's not be afraid of our awareness. Let's see what happens if we get curious about staying aware of the awareness. 24-7. This is from uh, Sri Nisargadatta. He says, by being with oneself, by observing or paying attention or being mindful, by observing with the intention to understand rather than to judge, in full acceptance of whatever may emerge, simply because it is there, you will allow the deep to come to the surface. Should I say that again? He says, by being with oneself, by observing, being mindful, being aware, with the intention to understand, right? We're, we're not meditating, you know, just to go to sleep once in a while when we can get away with it, right? We're not meditating because we want to be a good person. I mean, that's not a bad reason to meditate. But there's something happening. We want to understand what is human reality? What's the potential of human reality? What's the freedom that's uh, a potential of human reality? And that's our potential. That's the potential of each person sitting here. So we want to... We want to um, observe or be aware with the intention to understand rather than to judge in full acceptance of whatever may emerge simply because it is there, it is here. And you allow the deep to come to the surface. You allow the deep to come to the surface, surface and enrich your life and consciousness with its captive energies. Beautiful way he's saying it. This is the great work of awareness. This is the great work. So you allow the deep to come to the surface and enrich your life and consciousness with its captive energies. This is the great work of awareness from Sri Nisargadatta. Beautiful. I never got that last part again. And not, you know, about the captive energies. Because there's something... Uh, uh, captivating about human reality as far as I can tell which is why we want to continue to understand it because there is a mystery to it there is an unknown to it that we continue to discover and that's a beautiful part of learning how to pay attention and it, and it really it starts wherever we are even in the surface when we realize, oh, we can relax a little bit, or we can be present with our feelings and not just driven by it, or we can be aware of our mind and we see, oh, we're not just our mind, we're not just our thoughts. Those are something that's happening and we can be aware of that. And so we can start even at the first, first little bits of meditation, and then it goes further, and it keeps going further, it keeps revealing the reality that's sitting here, that who knows what that is, totally. And it's so beautiful, because it keeps revealing its captive energies, its goodness, its blessing, if I would use more dharmic terms. It starts to reveal the, the metta, or the loving kindness, or the compassion that's that you don't have wisdom without compassion and the, the heartfulness that wakes up as we learn how to practice as we start to realize who and what we are what's sitting here such a beautiful understanding from Nisargadatta and he also pointed to something he said he said we, we are aware with the intention to understand which I'm pointing at now rather than to judge in full awareness of whatever may emerge. Now that's a beautiful capacity that develops with practice. To be accepting of whatever emerges, which doesn't mean we have to like it, 
or doesn't mean we have to uh, be um, uh, uh, enslaved to whatever arises or, or defined by whatever arises. It means we learn how to accept whatever arises as part of the manifestation of reality so we can begin to understand more about reality and not be just bound by what's arising. Because it's arising when we're aware of it and when we're not aware of it, when we ignore it or when we don't pay attention to it. The quote from uh, uh, Izumi Shikibu, who was a Japanese woman, you know, I don't know what century. I can't remember, but beautiful poet. She she wrote this. She said, watching the moon, and, and remember in Zen practice, and especially Japanese Zen, the moon stands for awakening. She says, watching the moon at dawn, solitary, mid-sky, I know myself completely, no part left out. Watching the moon at dawn, solitary, mid-sky, I know myself completely, no part left out. <clears throat> so, acceptance is also a part that I'm stressing or emphasizing a little today. Relax, learning how to relax and stay present learning how to be open to experience, learning how to accept the experience, which doesn't mean you have to be bound to the experience. I've, I've, got, I've been criticized for, for being an acceptance person sometimes, so I'm defending it out front here. No, and you can criticize me, it's okay. I'm, I can accept that too. <laughs> um, uh, but, but really it's an interesting because especially sometimes um, there are things we don't want to accept. I mean, we don't want to go along with. But, but we first need to accept that they're there to see we don't want to go along with them. That's the distinction I'm making. And so if there's a confusion about that, I, I don't want that to mean, oh yeah, you have to be okay with everything. No, you don't have to like everything at all. And so if there's something that is... Uh, off or improper or uh, not right or unjust in some way. I'm not saying acceptance means you let it happen. No, you're accepting it by being, you're knowing it. You're recognizing it. That's what acceptance means. It means, oh yeah, you're willing to see, and this is what William Burroughs, who wrote Naked Lunch, he said, um, I believe he was having um, a meal with Allen Ginsberg. I could be wrong about who he was having the meal with, but I know William Burroughs said this. He said, you want to see what's on the end of your fork. Mm-hmm. You know, you want to see that. And then, whether you want to eat it or not, that's a different question. Because mm-hmm. what what's on the end of the fork could, might not be so good. And, um, and you know, like, you know, if somebody's being... Um, uh, improper sexually with you, you know. When I say accept it, I don't mean accept it, you're going to go along with it. I mean, you want to accept the fact that it's happening so you can respond skillfully, wisely, creatively, fiercely, if that's what's needed, right? If you pretend, if you don't accept that's what's happening, then you're not going to respond skillfully. And it's the same true of our own experience. If we're greedy and we don't accept that it's here, how are we going to deal with it? Right? How are we going to understand it? How are we going to respond to it in a skillful way? If we're going to pretend, yeah, I'm never greedy, I'm never greedy, and then all your friends start to hate you because you're totally a greedy person, maybe you ought to accept the fact you are greedy. And once you accept it, you can start to decide, oh, do you want to keep being greedy? Or why are you being greedy becomes an interesting question. What motivates 
And this is a dharmic question always. What's motivating you? Is it a skillful motivation or is it an unskillful motivation? I mean, anybody not have things that they don't like to see about themselves? <laughs> right? Just one person here <laughs> who likes to pretend. Um, and it's okay. It's good to pretend. You, we'll all learn. Um, but, you know, and for me it's always fascinating to see what my mind will do or what my heart will do, the kind of reactions it will have to things, or the, the beliefs. And then to see it is so fascinating. And to accept that it's here because accepting it means I'm not bound to it, to me, right? That's what it means. It means, oh, I get it. I'm totally pissed off. And then feeling that energy, the rage or the fire of the pissed offness. And then it doesn't mean I'm just going to go run out and shoot somebody. It means, no, I'm, I'm able to stay present with the totality of that experience and start to metabolize or digest or understand or wake up right there instead of, oh, no, I can only get, wake up after I get done being pissed off. And this is one of the keys to Dharma practice. Reality is happening moment by moment by moment. It's a doorway to waking up. Human reality. So this is... Uh, yeah, I've got some nice quotes. I'll read you at least one of them. Um, from one of my teachers, Hamid Ali, he says, acceptance of my experience of myself means being here now without manipulation. The more that I accept, the more I'm in the present, and the more I, and then he goes on and on, the more it is, da 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 um, the, I mean, I could read it to you, it's all good, but the, the more I'm in the future, even wanting to achieve or get something, or even wanting acceptance, the less I am accepting myself. There is no difference between total acceptance and the state of fullness. Acceptance feels like taking a risk, like jumping off a cliff. The, uh, I accept more the more I trust in reality. When this state of abandon is realized, I find I am alive as if for the first time. It is the first time. It is the first time I am alive, awake, Bodhi, as the Buddhists say. It happens when I accept myself, let go of preconceptions, and just be. The more I accept, the more I die, and the more I am alive, and the more alive I am. Total acceptance with the entirety of my being is complete death, and complete death of the manipulative ego is full rebirth, awakening. This is the natural state of being a human being our rightful inheritance. It's nice, nice quote from Hamid. He's not afraid to push the edge there. It's just saying acceptance. It's here. Can we stay present? And see, stay awake. What are we not accepting? Why not? Do we believe we're going to act on it? Do we believe <coughs> it's wrong to think a certain way? Okay, be aware of that. Accept that we have ideas or beliefs or judgment about our human experience. And then see what happens if we stay awake for what happens after we start to accept whatever's here that we don't like or that we're afraid of or that we think or we've heard is bad. You know, so you can think about what what don't you like to be aware of? Or what mind states or emotions do you not want? Or do you resist? Or what kind of mind, emotions, feelings do you have reactions to? And what happens? Or, or what do you push away? What do you deny? What do you judge? And what happens... If you don't, even for for one sitting, what happens if you stay aware of it and stay awake to it and really be curious about, okay, what happens if I stay aware? And awareness 
again means with your heart, body, mind, the whole, the totality of what sits here when there's any experience. And notice that maybe it's not the best thing to push away the experience we don't like, the anger, or the fear, or the wanting, or the loneliness, or the neediness, right? Because we're only pushing them away because we're having ideas about them, judgments about them, beliefs about them, and we're not aware of those beliefs, those ideas, and that we're believing them. This is from uh, Hafiz. He said, don't surrender your loneliness too quickly. Don't surrender your loneliness too quickly. Let it ferment and season you. As few humans or even divine beings can. Don't surrender your loneliness too quickly. Let it ferment and season you as few human or even divine beings can. There is something missing in my heart tonight. There is something missing in my heart tonight that makes my eyes so soft, my voice so tender, my need of God absolutely clear. Being open to reality and letting reality begin to teach us what is it to be a human being. And the reality, of course, and I would just want to keep being clear, the reality I'm talking about is the reality sitting in our seat. And of course, sitting in the seats of other human beings too. If we can start to really be intimate with what's sitting in our seat, we can start to be intimate with what's sitting in the other seats, with the humanness that's here that we share together. And it's why Sangha, or community, is such a beautiful and important part of practice. Because it's not seen as separate. It's not just about what's sitting in our seat. What's sitting in our seat is a doorway to reality, and the reality is sitting in every seat right here. We have a couple minutes if there's any questions or reactions or liking or not liking or you want to help me with the talk or please. A little louder, please. The hardest thing for me to sit with is pain. Hardest thing is to sit with pain. What kind of pain? Physical. Physical pain. Yeah. And then I have to move a little bit and just take a break from that. Well, give me an example of your physical pain. Uh, often. Often. Right in the mid-back. Mid-back. Sitting up straight. Right. And I can stay with it, and but yet I feel the aversion. Right. Good. Feel the aversion. Good. And the tension. Yeah. Around it. Right. And. And the hope that it will go away. Right, and the hope that it goes away. And then eventually I'm just kind of worn out. I don't know what good it's bringing by being aware of it. So I slightly shift yeah. to get a little bit of ease. Yeah. That makes it a little easier. Okay, you shift, you get a little bit of ease, makes it easier. So all good. Everything you're saying is good. You Here's a few different options. Um, There's no easy answer about pain, because I sat with lots of pain. I did that well, especially as a young man. I learned how to sit with pain, and pain until you get so concentrated, the pain goes away, and it's just a wild experience. You're sitting with pain. Actually, I'm remembering the first time was on my first retreat. I was just trying to sit still for one 45-minute period. I was on a 10-day retreat, it was five days in, and I could see people were settling in. 
and I couldn't do it. I couldn't sit still for 45 minutes, and I vowed to do it. You know, I got very macho about it. And I said, I was sitting cross-legged on a cushion, and the pain, pain, it was throbbing pain, hard pain, difficult pain. But I stayed, and I stayed, and I did just what you did. I was noting the pain, being aware of the pain, the pain and the dislike, the aversion, wanting it to go away, all my reactions to the pain, pain, pain. And then a funny thing happened. And I'm sitting there, and the pain, pain, and they did this, they did, I think it was Joseph Goldstein, rang the bell, and the bell rang, and it was like, I went away, and the pain went away, or the pain went away, I went away, and and I just was there. Now, who the hell knows what happened exactly, except the potential for what can happen with consciousness is infinite. That I know. Now, I'm not saying, oh, you should do that. I'm saying that's one thing that can happen is you can sit with pain where the pain goes away. And and then I used to sit with pain a lot because I always had pain sitting on a cushion. I sat on a cushion for 15 years and I would go and I would get into a certain kind of samadhi and the pain would just relax. And it was great. And then it would come back, you know. But But if you have bodily problems that are causing pain, you don't want to exacerbate that problem. That's not skillful. So you, you, and that's your analysis. You have to make that judgment. Um, the other thing you can do is lay down on the floor with your knees up and meditate that way. And then if there's a problem with your back, I wouldn't, I wouldn't move. I would see what happens. Because it's not the sitting up straight that's causing the pain. Right? If you lay down, your back is supported. So that, that would be another thing to do for a while and see what happens. So again, skillfulness, responding to what's happening, not passivity. Okay? Please, in back, yes. If you could stand. In your name? Angio. 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 And we did this before, I'm sorry, I have bad memory. Okay, go ahead. So you're tense or there's some anxiety and you're aware of it. And I'm aware of it. Okay. So so then you're aware of embodiment. Right. Okay. Uh-huh. Yeah. So what, but at a certain point you said you're making a choice about what you want to do? Right, it's kind of like... Who, you're aware that you're making a choice? Yes. And, and who's the you who that you're being aware of? It just comes. So be aware of something that just comes rather than calling it you. In other words, pardon? (laughs) 
or why not don't do anything? Well, okay, so I'm, I'm, I'm pointing you at a kind of um, uh, not doing as part of the meditative practice and just being aware of whatever arises and see what happens as you stay mindful of what's arising. Because at some point, maybe nothing will come. And you'll be aware of that. Or, I don't even know, I just want to leave it open. And, and the engagement in it and the consistency starts to deepen the practice. Pardon? Yeah, absolutely. Open to nothing. Yeah, open to nothing. Sure. Because when it, you know, let's not assume we know what nothing is. Right? It could be nothing, or it could be emptiness, or it could be a different state of consciousness than we than we know. Let's see what happens as we stay aware or mindful of what happens to you. Okay? To be continued. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay, I'm going to stop here. Great, great, that's a good question. A good, good thing to be aware of because um, the, under, the learning part of practice for all of us is really a, a lovely part of practice. And, and there's more to discover about who and what we are. And the Buddha was beautiful at pointing at uh, the potential of what is sitting here for human beings. This is from the Shinshin Ming. Um, They said, if you wish to move in the one way, and that's a capital O, capital W, if you wish to move in the one way, do not dislike even the world of senses and ideas. Indeed, to accept them fully is identical with true enlightenment. If you wish to move in the one way, do not dislike even the world of senses and ideas, even nothingness. Indeed, to accept them fully is identical with true enlightenment. Let's sit for a minute before we end. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.